Today's episode is sponsored by the Silva Ultramind System, which is a highly optimized framework for awakening your mind's fullest potential by giving you a reliable access to altered states of mind that's based on the Silva Method, a pioneering mind empowerment methodology founded in 1960. Basically, it's a long way of saying it's a meditation style that I started using recently, and it has changed my life. It's more of an active type of meditation. So it's not any of that, like clear your mind stuff, get super quiet. It's more of an active, like doing something with your mind, you're actively thinking. And I can say I've seen measurable difference in my life since implementing it. They also have a super easy to use app. So you can use it on any smart device that you want. So if you're interested, you can head on over to our show notes and look at the Silva Ultramind system link that we have there. Now let's get on with today's episode. All right. Welcome to Gay Men Going Deeper, a podcast about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. Today, I'm your host, Callan Brecken, and I am joined by special guest, Owen Pearson. Owen is a queer Asian American content creator that uses he, him pronouns. Receiving his BA in psychology from George Mason University, Owen focuses his work on mental health, the LGBTQIA community, and the Asian American Pacific Islander advocacy. He also is a full-time lifestyle and travel influencer who currently is nomadic, but usually can be found in either LA or New York. Today, we're going to be talking all about intersectionality and mental health, and I'm super excited to unpack this topic. So for those of you who don't know, intersectionality is the acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination and oppression, and we must consider everything and anything that can marginalize people ranging from gender, race, class, sexual orientation, physical ability, etc. So intersectionality is basically kind of the meeting place of multiple experiences, discrimination and oppression, for example, being gay and a person, uh, a BIPOC person. So there's two communities that have been discriminated against historically, and then that is found in one individual. So with that being said, I'm super excited to welcome Owen to the show. Thanks so much for joining me, Owen. Thank you so much for having me and for the lovely introduction. I just realized that my shirt matches your eyes, so I love it. It's so fun. Um, so pretty. Yay! Um, for, those, yeah, no. for those watching on video, yes. go check us out on YouTube. You can see. <laughs> I have to be clear of that. Yes, my shirt is green. His eyes are green, I believe. Um, yes, yes, they are. Thank you for the introduction and for having me. It's, I think it's so important. To, I love that you mentioned intersectionality first with my being BIPOC, being queer. I think there's so many people that can relate to different parts of the queer experience, but we sometimes often forget that there's so many more facets of us and our journey with coming out and being open and figuring out who we are in this world. So I'm very humbled and grateful to be here to represent my minority communities, but there's always obviously so many more out there. Yes. Need that representation. So honored to represent my view. Oh, good. Yes. And I've actually done this kind of like talk before with Mm-hmm. Um, it was community inclusion with Raymond and it was, um, indigenous kind of community inclusion. So that was that focus. So I'm glad that we can do this, uh, here with you today. So, uh, how about you go ahead? I, I did a little intro, but how about you go right. ahead and tell people about yourself? Cause you have such a background. Um, I know that you've worked with, you know, students in middle school and youth, um, and that kind of work. So you have a big history. So go and tell everybody 
you know what? Yes, yeah, so I I grew up on the east coast of the United States in Northern Virginia, DC area. Uh, born and raised there. Um, the oldest of three boys. My mom is Japanese. My dad is American, white, Caucasian, um, and I grew up in a very religious environment, uh, Christian denomination. Very strict environment, but also it kind of pushed me into just with the biracial dichotomy and with the super religious dichotomy and just growing up in that environment, it kind of pushed me to really have to grow up really fast and have to be a leader in my own rights. Like I was, before I came out, I was a youth pastor for six years to youth ministry for middle school, high school students. I did a lot of youth development programs. I also worked with uh, special needs kids, specifically on the autism spectrum for four years um, while doing my undergrad for psychology. Um, just a, a plethora of that, but I also had a like really love for photography. Like photography was, it was kind of my journal in a way, like before it was popular, but also maybe this might be aging myself, but I used the Zanga and MySpace a lot. And I would like write vlogs and just share my life in that way. And um, it really resonated, I feel like with a lot of people in the mental health space before it was really called mental health advocacy or before anything really was talked about in a way that wasn't taboo. Um, I kind of just shared my life as someone who was just figuring it out um, in that environment. So graduated in George Mason University, the degree in psychology, and then kind of from there, kind of figuring out like, why did I get this degree? You know, at first it was because I was just kind of lost in figuring out who I was with my identity, specifically with my sexual identity, and just also where I belonged in the spaces that I felt didn't have a space for me. So fast track, I was about to go to grad school, but I dropped out after one semester to pursue uh, photography, but also social media and marketing in it. Um, before influencer was a word, I really kind of tapped into it early on YouTube specifically. There were a lot of YouTubers I resonated with that were also, I think, from my perspective in the closet. And then a few years later down the road when they came out, I was correct that I had this sense of community with them. Like, oh, I could sense that they were trying to be themselves in a world that was not letting them be, but they were finding their own communities online. And I also did that with my photography. I found pockets of spaces where people supported me for just being me. It wasn't about um, my identity as an Asian American or whatever else I was a part of. So it helped me have a safer space to eventually come out on social media. And from there, that's kind of when my career took off and I did more photography for different companies and YouTubers and then yeah, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but I really uh, enjoyed the journey of social media with sharing organically through photo and storytelling. And then I had people finding my page and my places of sharing, and then they would follow and want to know more about me. And that kind of gave me more of a comfort and safe space to come out. Um, I came out at like 22, 23 years old. Um, so a little later in life, but for me, it felt like the perfect time because I was actually confident in first coming out with myself. So yeah. Okay. Well, there, I, you kind of answered one of the questions that I did have is I oh, want really? to take it back <laughs> to um, when you were doing the, you know, back to the kind of super mm -hmm. religious background and the youth pastor and working there. That wow. was obviously before you came out. Mm -hmm. And so what was the experience that you had? And you also grew up, I believe you were kind of like the only Japanese white mix in the area you grew up and you were kind of like the uh, only in my one. In my school environment, yes. In my church environment, there are other mixed race Asian uh, backgrounds. But in my school environment, which is my consistent environment, there was not many of us at all, especially in the younger demographics of elementary to high school. Okay. Um, and actually, after my first year and freshman year of high school, 
ninth grade for those who don't know American school. Um, I was severely bullied for being, uh, this is when I was in the closet, I was severely bullied for being Asian. Like I would just, I remember one person in the hallway, like he handed me like this little gift bag, little brown gift bag. And inside of it was like a bunch of like floss. And he was like, here's some new sunglasses for your eyes. And it was like the most like gut-wrenching like feeling ever. Cause it was like just so out of, out of nowhere. I didn't know this person. But him and his friends, I guess, were planning this, like waiting for me to come out of one class. And then it was just really devastating to have that happen in an environment that you're, you think is safe. So it was like looking back, it was like, oh, it was like a joke. They were like laughing. It was funny. But thinking of it now, it's like if that happened now, it's like I feel like social media would blow it up and things would happen differently. But I also know that that probably does still happen today with kids that don't have um community or friends or family that support them and back then no one knew I was gay so it's like I was already terrified about that part of my life to share so to have people so openly attack something that I can't change with my skin color with how I look it pushed me even deeper into the closet of like not feeling safe at all and just being terrified and anxiety ridden so I actually decided to homeschool myself after that year like I kind of just dropped out of high school I found a program online and my parents, they they just saw me as like this really, you know, I'm the oldest of three. So they always saw me as this confident, like clear-minded, optimistic person that knows what he's doing. So when I told them I found this program and I didn't mention the bullying, um, they knew I was bullied before, but nothing that severe. Um, and they were like, you know, like, if you want to do this, it's cool. Because I also was like, well, now I can focus more on youth ministry and youth group activities and I can help more at church. And for them, that was like, oh, yes, we love that. Like, we want you to do that because that'll lead you to doing more things for your future family with a woman, you know, like having that mindset in general. So it kind of pushed me to homeschool myself. So I was always very like self-driven in that sense. And then I worked part-time and then also did uh, youth group part-time as a uh, youth group leader. I was a start at age 16, 17. So I was still fairly young, but again, people just always saw me as this mature leader person. <laughs> mm-hmm. So bringing in the intersectionality here, there's like even more because you are closeted Mm -hmm. and you're in a religious setting. So there's Mm -hmm. obviously going to be discrimination there and oppression there. And then you're like the only kid in school who's mixed race. So there's discrimination there and you just, and then putting all of that together in one pot and doing these things. How did you navigate and what was your experience going through all of the all of that, navigating all these different versions of where discrimination and oppression was coming from. Right. I mean, I think back then there wasn't as much online to like really research or find solace or support in. Um, I did have like a couple of friends in my church community, church community that really did support me, but you know, they, they weren't, you know, queer, Asian mixed race. They weren't exactly who I was. So it's hard to balance. And back then also therapy wasn't something that in my at least upbringing community was something that was seen as normal or natural or something you could do. But also we grew up pretty much like middle lower class. So we didn't have the funds to do things like that. You know, we would quickly be like, oh, go pray it away or just write about it or, you know, talk to a church elder or something like that. So there was never like that space of like, no, like this is something for your mental health to help. And I quickly kind of realized that. And that's one reason I did study psychology because I didn't see anywhere in mainstream media like on tv movies commercials i also didn't see in my school environment or my church environment really leaders or people 
willing to do the work to help make a difference for people like me. Cause I was like, if I'm feeling like this or I'm going through this or people think it's okay to bully or attack people like me, I'm sure it's happening in more communities and more spaces. So for me, it, it was, it took a long time. I didn't automatically like realize right away, like how to help myself. Like, unfortunately I did like struggle with depression and uh, there are many moments where like, you know, I thought it would be my last day or I just had all these really suicidal ideations as a kid. And it was a very dark time. Like, and I look back at that kid that Owen that, and I was like, I wish someone was there to like, just help him or support him. And I also like realized like I leaned into like my faith a lot, like even though I'm not religious now, um, because that was something that was so ingrained in me from my parents. And, you know, when you're a kid, you want to please your parents. You want them to be proud of you. So that was something I did lean into, like my faith and just it kind of just pushed myself to be very independent in that way. And that kind of honestly built my my social media platform or presence, whatever you want to call it because I was so open and vulnerable with my photography, with my sharings online, that it helped build what I have now because people know that I'm this like um, emotional, but like in a way that's not victimizing myself, but really showcasing like this is a part of my upbringing, but also a part of the intersections that make me queer, Asian American, religious upbringing. Like these are all things that people also struggle with. So I think knowing that other people could resonate with small parts of me helped the whole picture feel a little bit more hopeful where that it's like eventually I could get to a space where I could get help I could get support but there's a lot of just dark times for sure mm-hmm. yeah so uh first I'm gonna ask can you mute your phone it just keeps going off if that's possible <laughs> I think I, uh, I don't know why it's doing that I'm like the everybody watching we also don't edit our edit podcast, our podcast. Okay, okay really oh my gosh i'm sorry to everyone <laughs> yeah i don't know how to do that i'm like the least tech savvy person in the world that's okay is it on your computer yeah uh, okay well then hopefully you just won't get that many more messages or emails um okay so taking this back so for you was leaving high school and the bullying that was going on there was it like running away from that discrimination in order to push yourself into these other religious areas but then over there were you being faced with these you know kind of beliefs about homosexuality and did you know you were gay at that point or was that something you were also struggling with at that point and you knew or that's something you realized much later no first I knew I was gay or at least my mind different from a very young age like grade school like I would just have feelings for other guys in my class and I was always super close to all the girls, but I didn't have like those desires or anything like that, that other guys would talk about like, oh yeah, like I want to hold her hand or kiss her. Like it always felt very much like they were, my sisters are just really good friends. So there's definitely like moments, I think even like preschool, kindergarten, where there are like these kids that like these boys were like bullying some of the girls, but like in a playful manner, like just like talking about their clothes or how girly they are, something like kiddish like that. And then I remember I had a crush on one of them. I was like, oh, he's really cute. Like, I was like, I like him. I want to hold his hand like everyone's talking about. And at one point, like, they were, like, like taunting one of the girls. And, like, I stood up for her. And they, like, and the boys started crying and, like, ran away because I stood up to her. And I remember feeling guilty. I was like, oh, but, like, now he's not going to like me. <laughs> and then, like, as I got older, like, more moments and things like that happened where I would, you know, have feel- mixed feelings and stuff. But I was told and taught in my religious community, like, that being gay is wrong as a sin like 
we're meant to be a man and woman. So I was taught these very strict rules from my parents and church community and just everyone kind of agreed to it without really questioning it. So I had that in the back of my mind, obviously, too. Um, so I knew from a young age, but as far as like the bullying and the pushing going out of school context to focus on myself and religion, it was definitely like a running away mentality, definitely not wanting to face it because I was scared that if I dealt with this or made it a bigger deal, then me being gay would come out as well from all that. Um, because there definitely were instances of bullying where people would say, you know, slur, uh, queer, uh, gay slurs or like really, you know, bigotry things. So that happened as well. It wasn't like one instance, it was multiple. So it definitely pushed me to like change my environment for sure. Mm -hmm. So what was the big catalyst through all of this? Like, what was the moment that you're like, okay, I'm going to go into mental health. Was it the history that you had with being the youth pastor and working in that, that you were like, you know what, I really want to work in this direction. And then how did you kind of take off into the mental health world? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I feel I've always had such a passion for kids. Like I love kids. Like one of the things I really want to do is I want to be a dad one day and I want to, I just love the energy and the pureness of kids and how much they are willing to learn. And it's just like, it really helps with the whole nature versus nurture conversation too, right? It's like, like where are kids taught that there's this much hate for a, pe a group of people? Where is this taught? It's when you see a kid, they're so pure and innocent. It's, I don't think it's something that we're born with this hatred and stuff, at least from my opinion. Um, so I think for me, when I was working with kids, like I really was hands-on, like I would take them out for lunch or boba or tea or hang out with them. And I would make sure that when we had activities, like even if we went to like the movies or even if we had like a night in where we had like discussion and talking or whatever, I would make sure, make it a point to like talk to each kid individually. Granted, there was around 15 to 30 kids at a time and depending. So I just really tried to make time for each individual kid. Um, and I saw how much that meant to them. And it made me realize like, oh, I wish I also had this context as well for me and all the safe spaces that I needed to have sharing in because I did have older figures who did help me, but I could never share fully. So for me, for having so many kids share their you know, deepest, darkest pains or struggles was very humbling to me, but also made me realize like, I don't have the resources or actual knowledge of how to help them long-term or how to get them out of this abuse that they're in or this tricky situations that they don't know how to talk to their parents or their school, like really intense stuff where people would share their, their biggest struggles with their mental health or just livelihood almost. So it put a lot of pressure on me as a youth pastor to really be there for so many kids. So that burnt out was burnout was really uh, intense as well, because I was putting so much of my time into all the people I was working with, like you know, I was doing full-time school, also full-time youth pastorship, full-time um, working with my job for special needs kids. So I was constantly giving to so many people. And I think if anyone is in a job or a community that like is about working with people, you, you know, it drains you at the end of the day and you need time to recoup or re rebuild your energy. Um, so I think in that moment, it's just like, I really had this desire to learn more. Like I wanted to like help in a bigger capacity. I didn't want to just be the nice guy that people felt they could talk to or listen to. Um, I want to have the actual credentials or at least more education on how to do it. Um, so that pushed me for sure. And then for my own, I guess, selfish desires, like I really want to understand my sexuality. Like, am I actually gay? Like who, like, what does this mean to be gay? Like, you know, someone who's queer closet in a religious context, you don't really have conversations at all, except in your own head or what you find online for the, val the validity of it or 
the acceptance or the affirmation you need. Whereas other kids are talking about their crushes or their relationships or things in such an open and free and safe space that it really messes with your psyche and who you are as a person. So I just really needed that time to dive into mental health and then figure out how to share that on my own time. Mm -hmm. I really like how you said you kind of wanted more credentials because as you were talking and I was was thinking about it, I wasn't raised religious, but I do know a lot of people who are have those mentors in that realm. And I just can't help but feel like the same, like I would want those people in those positions Mm -hmm. to have credentials, not just through whatever church or religion that they're with but like for those people if they're going to be working in those capacities they have to learn the knowledge for everybody not just their points of view um and I really appreciate that you actually were like I need to know more about this because then that opened you up to your journey and being like huh okay well I've learned a lot about myself (laughs) and then now you can turn around and help people on not just the religious frontier of it, but you have that history in order to inform also the, you know, working through being part of the LGBTQIA community. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanna ask, I'm very curious, being that you worked so much with kids and so much with youth, Mm -hmm. have you seen or did you see the effects of social media nowadays on their mental health? And like, how do you think that affected them? And how do you think it's affecting people now? Because taking intersectionality like it's all over the place now so like everybody can do anything to anybody now so how would that that affect the students and the kids that you worked with and how did you see that going down no yeah that's that I feel there's so many paradigms there and so many connections for sure like because for for context like for youth group activities or things like we would do like such fun activities but also like deeper activities to help build character development or bonds and stuff so for me to invite high school and middle school kids to these activities every week on Friday nights like a lot of times like they just want to like do nothing right they want to stay home they want to hang out with their friends outside of the church so at first I would like do phone calls or like text messages back when social media really wasn't a big thing but then around that time Snapchat and Instagram really blew up and Instagram stories blew up so it was the attention rate of every kid and everyone was so much smaller So I had to like switch my way of communication with all these students and kids of, oh, I can't just call them anymore. They're not going to pick up. They have anxiety for that. Or I can't just show up at their house and like pick them up. Like now I need to figure out how to contact them on social media. So I would switch my conversations to Snapchat, to Instagram to help kind of meet at their level or meet where they're at. But I also realized that it just changed the dynamic of how uh, like close and intimate you felt with your friends and with peers and stuff. So I really feel like social media in general has changed the dynamic of communication and how much we value each other's time um, because it's so easy to get in touch with someone, but then it's also so easy to like shut everyone out. Um, And now that I work, you know, specifically with so many nonprofits and companies in the mental health space where, for example, like because I am an intersection of queer and Asian American, um, a lot of brands want that check mark. They want that notoriety or that, desire to like like oh we fin- we fulfilled a box right um that they used me and that's unfortunate but also as a token I had to kind of step into that because all I saw with my peers of other influencers was white cis people or people who didn't really look like me or who especially in the gay world like there's so many intersections in the gay community where like you know people on dating apps in the gay community only want like a specific look or they don't feel like they're valued enough because they don't look a certain way 
Um, and I feel like a lot of kids are very aware of that too. Like they see social media and they see how many, how much of their friends or other people who might have more privileges than them or might have a whole different life because we never know what's going on behind the scenes. Like I try not to ever judge and just be open-minded, but a lot of these kids have their own insecurities. So if you see so many people every day at such an alarming rate posting their lives, it's going to affect you in a dramatic way of looking at your own self and the interest, like introspection of like your life is going to really almost numb you out and burn you out. And I saw that a lot with the, the kids, like they were just tired or they didn't feel like they're doing enough. And it's a lot of pressure for sure. So how did you uh, like tackle that topic with the kids of being like, okay, social media has all these great things, but it also has these negative impacts. What were ways that you worked with them being like, okay, this is healthy. This is not so healthy. This is how you can improve your mood. This is how you can, you know, what are those kinds of tips and things that you had? I mean, really, it's just like building genuine connection, like not really telling them, but listening to them. Like, and that's something I learned in doing therapy classes or just from going to therapy as well. I realized like a lot of times we all just want to be heard. And that was what I needed as a kid as well. I just wanted to be heard and seen and validated and loved. And a lot of kids don't get that in their home environments or even school. So it really wasn't like, I'm going to fix your problems. I'm going to do everything for you. Like that was not the right healthy method because I saw how that worked for other people and it didn't create a long-term healing or help or support. So really what I did was just lean into their, their, like their, their highlights or what made them special. Like, I created three program, different programs in our youth group. One was called, um, <laughs> looking back, it was kind of funny. We called it Blaze, but none of us smoked. <laughs> but it was like a sports event. And we would do like athletic stuff. Like we would do capture the flag, we would do basketball, volleyball, or just create a whole like event about around physical activity. And a lot of the boys and girls loved that. Um, but also when we did a more like intimate night, we called it C4 which is another funny reference, but it was like an explosion of like truth. It was supposed to be like a time to like just sit down and like either watch a movie or a show and like talk about it or have a, a reading from a book or just some sort of quote or something. And that's the thing too. Like I was e- even in a religious context of my church community, like I really only share things I believed in. I really truly tried not to push any of the context of the religion that I was totally not for. So I really focused on more of the values and characteristics that I felt like made someone into a better person or made someone to someone who wanted to actively help make the world a better place, regardless of God or whatever else you want to call it. Um, so we'd always do activities that really dive deeper into discussions where each person got to share about it. And we did smaller groups of discussion and bigger groups. So it really tried to create a safe space of having those discussions. And then we'd have another night where it's like a big community event where everyone was together. So I just listened to each of the kids and like with my team, we would just like really dive deeper into what they wanted and ultimately just listening was really makes the biggest difference. I feel listening is definitely a huge thing. Sometimes that's yeah. often for me and my therapist, that's like all I'm like, I just want mm-hmm. you to be my cheerleader. I just want you to listen to me uh, and pay attention. Um, I'm curious because you have done so much work um, with youth and in social media, such a huge presence on social media. Do you see any ways that you think we can improve the way that people use social media or especially how we allow students or kids to use social media or how it's used in general just with the population? I mean, I'm definitely no expert in all that. And I see, especially like on TikTok or the new app called Be Real, it's like 
these new spaces that have blown up in the last few years have really shifted the desire for people to be heard and seen, but almost in an unhealthy, toxic way where it's like, are they just doing it because they want the fame or the spotlight? But then it's like, do they really know what that entails? Or they do really know like what they are standing up for? But doesn't um, that go back to everybody just wants to be seen and heard? Exactly. They do. But on the what intent, right? Like what, what value are you putting into that desire? Um, is it because you care so much about a specific topic like sustainability or um, fast fashion or, you know, animals or whatever it is, you know, there's so many topics that we're all passionate about. And that's why I also love social media is it brings about so many advocates and spaces for people to find community. And that's something that helped save my life, like finding a community of travel photographers, finding a community of queer people. Like for me, like that was so not found in Northern Virginia of people that like, my creative kind of people. So I think on that end, it's like, really leaning into that and I feel like the people that are most successful in it are having boundaries with their social media with their phones and making sure that you know they are offline as much as they are online because really the most work that I do is offline like as much as like online it's like oh this Owen is doing this this and this like so much of the work is behind the scenes and with people in person and on the phone and building connections that way and I think that's really the balance is like getting back to our roots of it all and I feel like the pandemic is really what pushed a lot of people to share openly about what they struggle with or what they're going through even for me too like it kept me from like staying home too so I had to really dive deeper into my mental health state and also what I wanted to put out there too like you know not just doing things for the next check or just doing things because everyone else is doing it which is what trends really kind of inspire and push in mainstream media and on social media so I think really it's it's just dependent on each individual that has a desire to either make a change or make a splash in the, in the in the world, or if they want to be a part of something bigger, like how they support that. And um, obviously there's a lot of hate out there too. Like social media has a lot of trolls and hate comments and people that are so quick to write something on social media that I guarantee you they would never say in person to your face, you know? And it's, it happens time and time again to me and to so many of my other content creator, influencer, advocate friends. And it's unfortunate that right now so many people have to share those hate comments and those things to get notice of who, their identities you know like it's like almost that's what goes viral now is sharing the hate to counteract who you are as an individual and from my personal perspective I don't think that's healthy because as an individual you're still human and you have this heart that uh, hurts and heals and feels things so even though it's like I want to help everyone else in my community and especially like the trans community, like I really support all my trans friends and family too that really are struggling and there's just so much hate right now in America for them. But it's like, it's so sad for me as a, as a queer person to see them having to share the hate comments they get in order for their posts to go viral or for their message to be seen. Yeah, as why like proof, it happens. Yeah. This is the proof that it happens. And then yeah. that's why, yeah, exactly. I And I hear what you're saying because we started this podcast during the like, at the very beginning of the pandemic mm -hmm. and that we just kept you know having it grow but as it grew definitely we we don't get as much as we used to but mm -hmm. they definitely still come in and i think the ones we get are more pointed now um so how i'm very curious because i know how we deal with it but how do you deal with that because your platform i would you know venture to say that you have a much larger platform so how do you deal with it when it's 
coming your way? How did you deal with it when it first started? And did your like growing up youth kind of inform that? And then how do you deal with it now that you've been through so much of it? Right. Um, I mean, there's definitely moments where like I would succumb to it and like feel it and like just read it for too much and like look at all the comments and it would really hurt me and affect me as a person. Because for me, it's like here I am as someone who is presenting as this person on social media and showing my best self, but also my vulnerable self on social media with a platform that has whatever amount of number. It's like if I'm doing this so confidently and showing myself, I can I, my heart and my mind goes to all the people that don't have that safe space or don't have that community or that support offline or that page or whatever you want to call it. Like my mind immediately goes to them and that it always affects me in that way. And that's why sometimes I'm like hesitant about sharing political things. But for me, I think it's so necessary. It's so important to do that because it helps create the conversation of how to handle that offline and online. Um, there are definitely moments where also I just ignore it. Like I'll sometimes take screenshots of it and send it to my close friends and like just laugh at them with it. Cause it's like, it's like, are you okay? Like, and your point, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, sometimes what I really think of is, is think of it is, is like people hurt people, hurt people. And a lot of hurt people just really don't like seeing other people shining bright or other people, you know, doing their, their life the best that they can. And it's a more reflection of themselves. And that's kind of what I taught the youth I worked with and taught myself and use my space. It's like, I don't really get tap into that energy. My energy and my page is really focused on light and kindness and support. And there's not really time for me anyway to lean into it. But when I did, especially during the Stop Asian Hate movement last year, early in March, you know, there was a lot of hate that happened and um, it was just for me to see like people who look like me getting killed for just being me, you know, it just sparked a lot of earlier childhood traumas or moments. So I spoke up and when I spoke up, like a lot of people resonated with it. And then what I did was like, you know, I, I called out brands and I called out people cause I didn't want it to be like another BLM moment where people just post something on their grid and that's it. So I was like, if you're going to post something saying stop Asian hate, then I want to see you do the work as well like I want we can talk about it more offline we can discuss it I want to see more representation of Asian Americans or API people in your community in your workspace on your campaigns and if you don't then don't then take me off your PR list I don't want to work with you anymore um you know I when I did that it resonated with like for example Instagram and that's when they reposted my video on their stop Asian hate guide on social media and then that blew up and it was really cool to see like my face like as part of like this movement to like help stop Asian hate and be, you know, change makers. But on the flip side is when I that posted, like I got so much hate from that. Like I got more hate from that than I had anything I ever posted online. Um, and there was no like filter or support really for that. It was just people threatening to like contact my family, people threatening to find me, people like saying, oh, here we go again, like a gay Asian, like it's just a token. Like it's not even, he's not even, he doesn't even look that Asian he's bi he's biracial so just you know people nitpicking at that and it really just made me realize like there's just so much hate in the world so like I'm not gonna like succumb to it and like be a part of that narrative anymore um I'll stand up for what's right but I'm not gonna put my whole life's work into trying to talk to people who don't listen like listening is like if they're gonna if they're gonna just have a different opinion on me like that's one thing like we can discuss about it but if you're gonna be so focused on the hate I think that's not 
valuable of our time. Mm-hmm. And I think our time is the most precious thing in the world. You know, time is so short. Um, you know, another thing, another thing that really pushed me to sign up for mental health is like I had two really close friends in my church that I grew up with. They were the same age as me and they both passed away the same year. One from a car accident and one from a drug overdose. And it was really devastating to have that happen um, because they looked like me and they were like my friends. But also what happened was before both those incidences happened, um, they both reached out to me to ping out or talk and stuff. But I was depressed and anxious in my own world with my own life. So I didn't respond in time before what happened. So that really changed my whole life too. And I made me realize like how valuable time is and how much space we need to hold for like kindness and love for the people in our lives, because we never know what's going on behind the scenes. Like no one knew what I was going through and why I didn't talk back. But also we never know what's on the other side. And social media helped us connect, you know, but at the same time it can help us disconnect too. And that's something that I try to teach the youth I work with or the spaces I am in. Mm-hmm. So you you touched upon the um, Asian American Pacific Islander advocacy work. Can you tell me more about that? What what kind of work are you doing now around that to continue yeah, um, the conversation? I have like, different like speaking engagements with like different schools or like organizations where I just show up and like do Q and A's or talk to the youth and like figure out what they want to do to help create more of like conversations on the work I do Um, like as a queer content creator in general it's like with the Asian American title on top of it it's like you kind of realize that there's a lot of work that needs to be done so I've worked with like different nonprofits that bring about like statistics and analytics also about what's happening in like the public opinion of Asian Americans like do we feel like it's actually represented in mainstream media or in spaces that they happen to be in do we do we actually think that people are tokenizing us or is there actual more space and like actual percentages of businesses and campaigns like having Asian Americans on their platforms for campaigns? Um, and that's something I really lean into as well when I do work is I try to make sure to see like, are they having other people besides me? Am I, am I the only Asian American a part of this PR trip or this work or this conversation? Like if there's more diversity, then I'm like, okay, let's, I'm okay with that. I want to do that. So it's really in those small moments of like determining like your value, because as a queer Asian American, there's not many of us yet in these spaces. And I'm very grateful that I am filling space, but I know that it's not just for me to fill space. Like I don't want to be alone on this journey. So the more times I see other people who look like me, who, who uh, are on the same journey as me, like I really try to lean into them and we are very collaborative in the things we do and just, it's really cool to see other people who are succeeding in their spaces to have um, their voices heard because I can only represent so many people, you know, there's so many more out there that need that representation. So um, yeah, it's just like a lot of that. I'm also, you know, trying to do uh, also writing a book about like my life and diving deeper into that narrative of growing up in the church environment as a closeted queer Asian American um so that's something that's work in the works and yeah just a lot of things like that so speaking about that actually can you take us back to that experience of like being in the church and then not coming out Mm -hmm. until you were 22 23 and like why that journey took you so long pardon me if you knew like you had the inklings why did that journey take you so long 
Um, a lot of fear and um, just like the scarce feeling, the scared feeling of like, once I come out, like I can't go back. It's like, then everyone in my life is going to see me for this. It was very much that mentality of like coming out on the East Coast, for example, like it was such a big deal to come out to each of my friends and family members, like, and some were positive. Like all my friends were positive, but my family's coming out experience for me was not positive um, at all. So it's like, that was very difficult. And I kind of suspected that based on my upbringing with my family and my church is like, they would clearly make, you know, innuendos and comments and like the, the church that they joined, you know, I was born into this church. I didn't join it, but the church my parents joined, like clearly states their, their decisions and views on homosexuality and the queer community. So I already knew how difficult it would be. So for me, I want, and this is an important message, I think for all youth, are struggling with this or figuring it out for themselves is like you have to put yourself in a safe space first to want to be there and like have the resources and financial support and friendship support to get out of any situation you're in that's intense and for me also like what kept me uh, from coming out so long was the youth I worked with I cared so much about all of them like I really put my own self-care and my mental health on the back burner which I don't suggest to anyone, but I really did put myself second because I didn't value myself or my life at all. So I really focused on creating a better life for all the youth I worked with and I wanted them to be happy. And I had two younger brothers too. So it just like, I was so focused on my advocacy work in the church that I didn't really decide to come out until I mentioned my two friends passed away and then I dropped out of grad school and that pushed me to move to the West Coast, to LA to pursue photography and pursue a different life with like less than a month notice to everyone in my life because I was just so burnt out from everything and I needed to finally be myself and like see what that was. Mm-hmm. It was like running away to find a safe space and you had until that point been playing the distractor game of like, I'm just going to distract myself with all these things to keep busy so that I don't actually have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, bring it back to intersectionality. Do you think uh, your experience was compounded because of the your religious background, but also your Japanese background with the religious background, because I know that it can be quite homophobic in those areas specifically. Did that inform, because you said in your church specifically, it had a lot more, you know, Asian or mixed people there. And did you think that had an effect on it? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of deeper history rooted there. Like the church's format was very uh, Korean focused. And I don't know if you know about the history between Korean and Japan, like there's a lot of um, just intense drama there and like just with history of like what happened in the war. So I think interestingly, it's, it's sad to say, but like because the church was Korean focused, they really made their Japanese members, AKA my mom having to kind of do more indemnity and work harder, like literally having to tithe more money for the church. Um, and also Japanese culture is very like respectful, quiet, like respect your elders, um, do what you're told, um, don't have an opinion outside of what's already shared from like the leaders or the, the, the group you're in or your parents. Mm-hmm. So, so there's another layer of discrimination there that I didn't even know about because it was Korean based and not Japanese based. So there's mm-hmm. that other layer on top of it so now you're coming out of here being like well damn I gotta be perfect now Mm -hmm. because I can't come out of here being gay and this and all these other things because these people will eat me alive yeah and I remember being told like I don't believe this is like the Korean perspective or just the Korean church perspective I was in but 
I remember kids telling me, and again, I think kids are taught from their parents or their, their environments, but I remember being at a summer camp and I'm half Japanese, half white. So I'm a little hairy, like I have hairy legs. I started growing hair like when I was like 11 or 12 and I can't control it. Um, I remember being like on the basketball court and this one Korean kid came up to me. He was like, he's like, you know why the Koreans are the leaders of this church? It's because we don't have hair on our legs. We're, we're not hairy. It's, it means we're pure blood. It's, it's like, you are mixed blood. Like you're dirty. And I was like, literally just like in shock, like, not only was I getting bullied in school environments, but also church environments for just being who I was. So I just, that made me realize also like this church is not it for me. Like these people are not what they say they are. They're not doing with the actual the lessons of this church or their principles. Like it's very much hypocritical. And for me, I was like, why am I putting all my time and effort into this organization that one doesn't support me for being gay, but also is racist as, as fuck, like, it's just so racist. It's like, what the heck, like, that's not okay, you know? So I think the intersections of it all was very much embedded in being Japanese because Japanese people are very respectful and uh, focused on humility. And I think that's a beautiful thing, but I also think there's a time and place to share your boundaries and what you deserve. Because, um, I mean, if everyone I talk to, for example, loves Japanese culture. Like, they're like, they- I've been multiple them. times, I love yeah. Japan. I never heard one person say they went to Japan and had a horrible time. No one has said that to me ever. And everyone's always like, my dream vacation is Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's because the culture there is so family rooted and beautiful in that sense. So I think there's a lot of good goodness in there. But the homophobia is really intense too. I actually did a post earlier this year in the summer because I was very just angry with Japan because they they publicly announced that they're, they denounce like homosexuality and they don't believe in same-sex marriage excuse me like publicly saying that and I was like all over the news and stuff and that really just rubbed me the wrong way so I did a post saying like being Japanese and gay is okay and like it did a lot of people resonated with that and it was just like for me it's like that's another just layer it's like I'm out now but like being out in Japanese is not okay mm-hmm. because if you're a tourist in Japan for example um, if you're if you're clearly white or mixed race or don't look Japanese and you're in a queer space or you're like with your your partner or something like that like they're not going to like judge you or like say anything but if you are Japanese and you're doing that they're not okay with that like it's like just like they think it's like a disgrace to their culture and to their society so it's like if you want to be gay sure but if you're a Japanese and gay that's not okay and Mm -hmm. that's something that's very deeply rooted in their culture unfortunately and that's you know it's the same as religious indoctrination it's cultural indoctrination because Mm -hmm. this is what our culture believes that you know and all cultures are different all around the world. Um, so when you came out at 22, 23, how did that then change your whole perspective on your mental health and the work that you were doing in mental health? And how did that push you forward to doing the work you do now? Um, it was just the most liberating and freeing experience for me. Um, it brought friends and chosen family that I never thought I would have. Um, I have family that like are Filipino that have like really taken me in. Like I was too poor one year to go back home for Thanksgiving. I didn't really want to go back. So my friend Maria, she's from Hawaii and all her uh, Filipino friends moved to the mainland on the West coast. So they invited me to San Diego to have Thanksgiving. And I'm the only Japanese gay guy there (laughs) and they're all Filipino, but they welcomed me and like, they didn't focus on that at all. They were just, they're more impressed that I was an influencer. They're like, wow, that's so cool. (laughs) You know, like, or they just wanted to know who I was as a person. And, and it just really was so natural. And it was the first time in a long time where I had a chosen family 
experience besides in LA where I had a lot of my best friends where it wasn't a big deal to be gay and I could just talk about it normally in conversation without any like judgment or needing to explain myself like I had to back home. So it just really grew my heart to be open to new people and be open to the people in my life that I haven't met yet that I know are waiting for me to experience love with them. And it's like, that's a beautiful thing because regardless of my upbringing, it's like, I know there was a lot of love and like my parents meant well, some people in the church meant well, like the, the work I did with the youth, it was all like for a good intent, but if the organization is corrupt and if the leaders are corrupt then it's like, you're just on a sinking ship and it's better to build roots somewhere else where you can really build something more holistic and pure and intentional than try to stay in those negative dark environments that really could care less if you're there as long only if you're focusing on their cause and their principles so Mm -hmm. yeah I think since coming out it's just been so humbling and like beautiful because my I mean whatever like whatever happens with my career my life like for me it's like I've gotten emails or people coming to me in person or just like little moments or comments where people share like that I help them come out or I'm helping them figure out their identity um, in their religious context, in their queer space, in their Asian American identity, whatever identity they recognize with, or they're like, I also struggle with anxiety and depression. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for making me not go, I think I'm crazy or not think that it's uh, insane to have these isolating thoughts or these moments of, you know, just pure dark abyss. And whatever intersection happens like for me it's like such a pure and like beautiful moment where like it's like okay like my main goal in all this was I don't want anyone to ever feel like how I felt as a kid I don't want everyone to anyone anyone to ever feel like there's no one for there for them so to be on the other side where it's like I can be maybe someone small in their chapter to help them in their moment in their journey like for me it's like that's all I cared about and it's, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have social media, if I didn't come out in the way I did. Maybe it would have happened in a different context. I don't know. But I'm just grateful that I did it the way I did because it's there's this a lot of healing that's been for me personally, but also for the people that may resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the big positive side of social media is that all of these people around the world now have access to seeing people and interacting with people who have that shared story and that shared interaction of like, oh, I've went through the same thing or I went through something very similar. And it's, you don't have to wait for TV to show you now because Hollywood takes forever and generations to change and a lot of money's there. And so on social media, you can find whoever you want. And there is so many amazing, beautiful people out there that you can resonate with and go, oh my God, okay, I'm going to go in this direction. And that opens that door and I think that that's also why the younger generations I have a lot of like hope for the younger generation I thought my generation was changing things Mm -hmm. but like even more so now I just look at the younger generations and I'm like oh like I'm so grateful that you are all just coming to the table and looking at people as people and just like conversing and it's not about all this old bullshit or crap that we used to have and the indoctrinations of the older generations it's like we're breaking those stereotypes we're breaking those links and going no we need to create something new because obviously it's not been working exactly and i i just hope that like we can build more bridges for each other to like not be like ostracize one group or the other it's like really let's build a community and like let's all unlearn and relearn behaviors and lessons to like get there together because it's like I feel like hate just builds more hate too so it's just it's super exciting to see the future like focus on building hopefully more inclusive environments and spaces for all sorts of facets of what makes people people 
Mm-hmm. I agree. It's like, it's exciting times and it's like, there's so much more work to be done. But I think also that's why I'm grateful for the social media space. It's because like you said, like mainstream media takes so much longer to change and grow. Um, but for us, like we can make that movement and change now and we can be in those spaces now and brands and people and so many facets of the world are like really paying attention to social media now and what it, how it affects everyone's daily habits in life. So I think that's why it's a double-edged sword as well, but there are good creators and people out there that are trying to do it with intent, but it's like, just for my thing is like, if you want to, I always get, this is one of the biggest questions I get. It's like, how can I be an influencer? How can I be a content creator? Like, what does it take? And I always tell people like, don't do it (laughs) for your mental health. Don't do it. Unless you have a good therapist, don't do it. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big Instagram user. I'm like, if I absolutely have to, I do it, but like, I hate it. Yeah. But I'm saying if it if it brings you joy, if you love it, if you it doesn't take away from you, but give you something, then I think step into it more because the only thing that is really going to help is social media is going to help you really discover who you are and what your desires and self are. So really lean into loving yourself first and who you are as a person, because that's going to be the unique part of you that's shared to the world that makes you different, that makes you unique and special. But if you don't know what that is, you're just going to fall flat into what's happening around you. And it's not going to feel like conducive to your mental health or your growth. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I always tell people to curate their Instagram and to curate their social media because it's the algorithm will feed you what you're looking at and what you Mm -hmm. are tapping on. So if you want to move away from the things that make you feel bad about yourself, like I know, you know, for a while there was like all these like guys who looked a certain way and I'm just like, I'm never going to look like that. And like, it made me feel bad. And so then I had to actively go into my social media and go and dig and find things that made me happy and joyful. And then all of a sudden my algorithm started to change so that it was like, you know, huskies doing stupid things and like fun things that brought me joy. And now when I go on, I get to enjoy the experience that I have instead of feeling bad about what I'm looking at. So, but that's a conscious effort people have to make in regards to their social media. Um, And that's very important. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me, Owen. Where can people find out more about you if they want to look you up? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, You can find me on all social media platforms at Owen Pearson. And I always tell people um, to spell my name correctly. If you take the eyes out of my name, I become my own person. So that's just a little cheesy thing because it's hard to spell my name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. And we're going to have all your details in the show notes for people to link up. So it'll all be there. If you have enjoyed this episode of Game and Going Deeper, please consider being a subscriber. Um, you can just hit the subscribe button on any platform you're listening to. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe and hit the bell. It'll notify you every time we put out new episodes on Thursdays. And give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment. We love getting your comments. Uh, and if you're listening on Apple iTunes or Spotify, give us a star rating. Let us know what you think about the show and share it with your friends because we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Peace, love, rainbows, and have the best day ever. Bye. Bye.